Hey, welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like Capital Ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy, if you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy. You can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions, and that means the world to me, and I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. What's going on, brother? Amazing as always, man. And, and dude, you're right about something. I think what I love about your segments, they're always a little bit of tough love, which makes uh, myself and, and the team make us look not as, as tough. Uh, but actually, <laughs> because of that last question, I want to jump right over to to David. David, if you're there, um, I think I that am. question. Good morning, good morning David. Uh, that question that was just asked, I think, is uh, is one that a lot of people struggle with at times. You have competing things. You have a multitude of things on your plate that you're like, oh my god, this is like, this is the priority. I got to work on this, this, and this. But what do you do first? Was the question, David? And and, and I have a thought on this, but obviously I'm gonna lean on to the expert uh, on that, David, because you've been in been in the game a little bit longer than me. So what are your thoughts on how do you prioritize? How should she find that that thing? Let's see if we can help somebody this morning. Well, uh, good morning, first and foremost to you all, Dre. Thank you for your segment. Um, and yeah, and thank you for starting off by saying I've only been in this a little bit longer than you. That feels pretty good. <laughs> Just like a few months. <laughs> um, so... 
you know, I think the thing that's interesting about this is that when you are in the moment um, trying to figure something out, and I think it was Julie. Julie, are you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm Julie Huang Yan down here. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so Julie, when you're in the moment, it's interesting. I think that what happens is that, you know, things will come up that on the surface will feel like they are equally important uh, at certain times in your life. And so when you have two things, three things, four things, five things, and somebody says, well, which one's important? And you go, well, that one's important. That one's important. That one's important. So in your brain, you're like, okay, well, how do I effectively prioritize if in all honesty, they're equally important? And it sounds like that's the situation you have right now. True? Correct. Okay. So you have to, I, I think if, if any of you have ever used uh, Excel to any degree and you've got a bunch of data on there um, and you're trying to understand that data, assimilate that data in the most effective way possible, there's a tool called sort un under the data menu. And when you, when you grab the entire menu of uh, information on the screen, you could hit sort and you find something interesting. It doesn't just have one level of sort. It allows you to add a second, a third, a fourth level of sort so that you could ultimately uh, be able to present that data or receive that data in exactly the way you need to, to really get the answer that you want. And I think that's not a bad way to look at your situation. So if all of these things are, e are important or seem equally important on the surface, and that may be true, uh, ultimately there's going to be a second sort that you should apply to it that's going to determine which one is going to rise to the top. So, for example, if you said, well, my second sort is going to be financial, which one is going to have the most significant financial impact uh, on my business? And, and in order, by the way, for you to be able to do this exercise effectively, you have to not concern yourself with actually sorting or prioritizing the three or four or five things that you're are rolling around your brain that are kind of confusing. Actually, the answer often lies in not sorting those, but going off of those for a minute and sorting what is actually most important. Is it time? Is it money, for example? Or is it something else? Is it a, is it a client relationship? Uh, is it something in the family dynamic? So when you look at these things that are rolling around in your head right now, like what is the, what's paramount? What's most important to you or to your company, to your family? Like what ultimately makes you decide in your business? For most businesses, uh, and you're a CEO of a manufacturing business, so this is a real business. It, when you're a CEO of a company, to take a cue off of what Dre said, you know, the role of a CEO, the role of a company is to be profitable, period. That's your job is to be profitable. Um, so is the number one thing within your company financial or is the number one priority that you have right now something else? Oh, definitely the financial side. And uh, yeah, you're giving me some like really good ideas. I'm sorry, I'm taking notes. This is really helpful. Yes. So, yes. so if it's financial, there's it's nearly impossible. It's not like you're weighing five deals that are all worth five million dollars. That's you don't have that issue, right. or one million, or a hundred thousand. So sometimes get the noise out of your brain, and and remind yourself as the CEO, it, the number one role you have is leadership. And the role of a leader is to have vision. The role of a leader is to be able to see around corners. The role of a leader is to make uh, the most effective decisions possible. And for the benefit of the company, and the number one benefit of the company is financial, okay? Because if you're profitable, and I'll say this to anybody with any company, okay, what you want is options. 
What you want is to own the options. What you want is to do things on your terms and your conditions, ultimately. When you start out in business, you're just trying to get clients. But as you grow in business and you grow financially, you grow in prominence, you ultimately want things on your own conditions. So when you look at this from a financial perspective, I'd be willing to bet that there's at least one of these things that glows in the dark as being by far the most important thing to the future of your business. Is that fair? That is super fair. So you just gave me this like aha moment. So all these three projects that I'm working on simultaneously, they all affect the, the bottom line, right? So I am thinking what you just said about the time about client resilient relationship is the money. I'm going to actually color code them and in the spreadsheet where you're talking about that I already have the data. And then so for my end as a CEO, and, and please help me correct if I'm wrong or if I'm going the wrong direction, I can actually say that, okay, this project, um, client relationships first, because with that, then revenue comes. Um, and this project, uh, we the time is that we need to spend on um, designing that mold that we talked about in this project. I'm just giving you examples. Is that kind yeah. of where you're leading me? Because this yes, is really and, helpful. And and the last thing I'll say to anybody out there is don't get intoxicated by revenue. Don't let revenue alone. I I don't care about revenue. I care about net. People get so caught up and they want to tell me about the revenue. I want to talk about your net. So. I might have one project that's a $5 million project and another project that's a $2 million project. But on my $2 million project, I have a 50% net. And on my $5 million project, maybe I have a 15% net. Maybe that client is demanding uh, that I cut my margins because it's a much bigger uh, deal or it's a bigger company. Um, and so you want to look at what is going to have this the largest impact on your bottom line, right? And and then the third thing I'll look at, so number one is going to be what is the size of the, of the project, the business opportunity? What's the net profit? I'm going to look at that. And then here's the third one. Is it a one-time project or is it a project that is going to lead to recurring revenue? So the third thing is maybe I have a half a million dollar project but this is something I'm going to do every year for the next 24 months. They want us to do stuff for them. Okay, well, now that's a $12 million project. So on the surface, my little half-million-dollar project didn't look like it can stand up against the $5 million one or the $2 million one. But it turns out if it has the best profit margin and it has the longest contract, I'm going to look at the total value. So... These are some of the things that I would look at if I was you, and they're ultimately going to provi uh, provide you the clarity that you want and need. Yes, that's very, very helpful. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, David. And of course, I'm following you, and so then I can get more gems. Appreciate Please it do. so much. Thank David, you. I knew I knew you were going to come in strong. That's why I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and lean on my boy David here. Uh, there's, there's one thing I wanted to add for the future, not something you do right now. I absolutely take everything David just had and implement today. Um, but one thing to consider, and this is just from another perspective is that anytime we're in a position where we, we have too many priorities and we feel like we have to do it. Now's a good time to start looking at who could I, in my company, who in my team, could I start to develop? Who should I put some more time into coaching? So that way one day when I have one like competing priorities, I can just throw one person on that project and trust them. Cause I'll tell you from experience for me, uh, one of the hardest things I've had to do as I've built my business is rely on my team. I actually put something, David, I don't know. Uh, uh, I feel like you'd appreciate this. I have a reminder in front of me on my desk that says never do anything that my team could do better. And I guess for me, I have that, that uh, maybe it's just young entrepreneur, kind of, no, I got to touch everything. I got to do everything in my mind at all times. So that's my little reminder daily that, that there's a reason why I have a team. And it's because, you know, they could do some things way better than me. So I need to leverage them. And so anyway, if you're ever stuck, again, you're thinking about, you know, priorities and what things to tackle, maybe it's time to start looking at somebody that, A, one day can replace you on some tasks, but or B, that you can invest in in terms of time. So that way 
you don't have to stress so much about stretch yourself out too much on, on different tasks. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you, Raylan. Yeah, so that's that's important. You know, there are people out there that are uh, for sure they are control freaks and they feel like they need to touch everything. They need to do everything. Um, and, you know, they do it. It's funny as human beings, we we convince ourselves that doing what we're doing is is the right thing. We can it's easy for us to fill our head with justifications. But at the end of the day, you know, if you are um, not you, Julie, but if anybody out there is in a situation like Raylan just described, where you have to touch everything, you have to do everything, then it's an indictment. It actually is an indictment that you have the wrong people. You see, there's two kinds of leaders out there. Um, there are people that will hire somebody to do a job and let them do their job. And then there's people that hire somebody to do a job and tell them how to do their job. Well, if you're the latter, you're more of the manager variety. And if you're the former, you're of the leadership uh, ilk or variety. And so it's a very telling sign what, what Raylan just shared with you. Uh, as a young uh, entrepreneur, and I don't mean young in age, I mean young if you're new to entrepreneurialism, then it's not unnatural, it's not uncommon for people to do that. But the problem is you will never grow in the manner that you want to grow without growing your people first. You will not grow your company to the level of its potential without growing your people first. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. So you've got to be able to do the former. Always, always, always be growing out your, your management team, your leadership team, so that they have the potential to fully support you and ultimately enable you to go do the, the, the biggest things, the most important things um, that, that you have to do in any given day. So, David, I know we just uh, we just kind of jumped right in, but first and foremost, if you're if you're new to this segment here on Brussels Champions, um, it's called Babs and the Boys. We're missing half of the team right now, but David and I, I think we're doing a decent job of of, of keeping it holding it down, as they say. Um, if you have any questions around coaching business in general, make sure you go to the chat and drop it in there. David, I can can address it. Uh, David, I do have I did prepare something for you uh, today that I'd like I'd love to talk about. Um, but first and foremost, before we jump in, if you're getting any value at all from this room, make sure you share it. Uh, right now, we're at 190 shares. Let's get to at least 200. It's just 10. 10 extra shares. Go in and drop drop a little note and, and go ahead and share this room out. Um, it's not just our segment that is upcoming. There's still tons more that you're going to get a lot of value from. So, David, I don't know if you saw the news. <laughs> I think, honestly, nobody does Twitter better than this man. Elon Musk. So <laughs> I don't know if you saw it. Did you see last night? Elon uh, posted a, a tweet. Okay. And it's this meme. It says, they said I couldn't buy Twitter. He's laughing a little bit. Then they said they wouldn't disclose bought information. Now they want to force me into buying Twitter in court. Now they have to disclose bought information in court. I don't know if there's anyone better at this like utilizing social media to get what you want outside of Elon. And then even to double down, he posted a picture of Chuck Norris paying, playing chess and all it said was checkmate. <laughs> David, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, Elon, Elon is a really good um, example or lesson in and of himself and in my brain and I'll tell you why. Because he is, on the surface, he is one of the most peculiar human beings, I think, that we will ever come across. Um, and to me, it's a reminder, you know, uh, for those of you that have kids, and if you think that your kid is a little bit peculiar in any way, shape, or form, um, I would move from concern to rejoicing um, because I think it's oftentimes 
those who seem to be peculiar or wildly different that are the ones that accomplish some incredible things. And Elon, you know, is is somebody who was uh, bullied as a kid in South Africa. Elon is somebody who had anything less than an ideal life, um, you know, with his sibling and, and his mom. Elon is somebody, Raylan, who at what point, at one point was bullied uh, and beaten up so severely as a child, as a kid, they pushed him down a set of stairs and then beat him up and pu put him in the hospital. Um, this is not a guy who uh, fit in very well, but you know he's having his day. We would have to say a guy worth a third or a quarter a trillion dollars is having his day, and. He had his day with PayPal. Um, he proved he was not a one-hit wonder. Um, and the guy had the guts. Guys, think about this. In all honesty, if you were part of the group that co-founded PayPal, and you found yourself with a large nine-figure check, would you say, man, okay, I'm done. I did it. I can't believe we did it. But we did it. Would you go buy cars, yachts, houses, uh, you know, whatever, travel the world? Nobody could blame you if he did. But here's a guy who is peculiar. He took that money and said, I think I'm going to go all in on another company. I'm going to start a company called Tesla. And then he said, mm -hmm. wow, like Julie, he said, boy, I've got another priority in my head. I can't get out of my head. SpaceX. I'm going to start that company too. So he started SpaceX. And and then he got to the point by 2008, if you could imagine, Raylan, that he went, he nearly went broke because he kept he kept having to put his own money in his companies. And if you could believe it, the investors in Tesla said, no more. We're done. We're not giving you any more money. So here he was, he hadn't made it through Tesla. Uh, SpaceX hadn't gone where it was supposed to go um, since it started, I think, in somewhere on 01. He had also Solar City that he started. So he's feeding capital into three different companies that all stuck a lot of capital. But he was so all in that he put his own money in to the point of nearly going broke. Now he's a guy that he's exposing to the world his audacity seemingly on a weekly or monthly basis. He does things you're not supposed to be able to do, but he's also exposing, in this case, his mastery of critical thinking, isn't he, or strategic thinking. And when you see Checkmate, I won, you know, think about that. All the guy wanted was to get the data. They wouldn't get him the data. So he said, no problem, I won't buy it. So what do they do? They take the bait, they sue him, and now they're forced by deposition to give him the data. Brilliant. The dude is brilliant. Peculiar on the surface, but freaking brilliant. And this also proves like a kind of a point that I've been talking a lot about, which is like, you know, to your point, there's this documentary out about SpaceX. and there was a point where I think it was his third rocket that failed. And if the fourth one failed, they were completely bankrupt. Like he was done. He couldn't, you know, cause all this money obviously was, was in, in, in uh, SpaceX at the time. And so what you find is this interesting thing where people, I, I've said this before, but out of all the entrepreneurs that I, I started out with even like three years ago and all the entrepreneurs that I've met with or whatever, along the path, along the journey, the digital entrepreneurs, I would say only 30% are still doing it today. Only three years later. And yeah, that's kind of awesome. Hey listeners, if you enjoy listening to Breakfast with Champions, we can bet you care about your daily routine. Do you want to know the secret to the perfect routine? It's the perfect morning. Glenn has written a free ebook called The Morning Five, five simple steps to an extraordinary morning. If you can transform your morning, you can transform your life. Head on over to themorning5.com to learn more about the five ways you can change the way you start your day. I'm Paul.
par with what you kind of expect. And so I, I think the reason for that being is, is that there seems to be a, a barrier to entry to entrepreneurship. And it's the only way I could word it is suffering. Like there's always a period that goes on through like the journey of entrepreneurship and probably several, the longer you stay in that, that there is some suffering that you kind of, you, you have to kind of put forth. And for Elon, it was, I'm sure like we haven't heard, like I haven't heard anything about it, but I'm, I'm almost positive. There were some trials and tribulations. There was tons of turbulence when doing PayPal. So then you make it out to your point. Everyone would give up at that point. He goes, oh, I'll do it again. And so there was the SpaceX thing I just explained. There was Tesla and, and still to this day, there's trials and tribulations with Tesla and trying to get you know cars uh, in and out uh, in a timely manner. There's the pushbacks of launches. Like there's kind, there's all kinds of of struggle, but we we give up right before things get good. And so I guess my question at this point is, you know, I don't know that it's the skill of of being an entrepreneur that's that's the most important. I don't even know. I used to think it was if you could sell and market, you could, you could do anything, and and that to some degree I guess is true. But I think the most important skill if we had to say that there is one in entrepreneurship, the silver bullet entrepreneurship, if you will, honestly, man, I think it's just resilience. Like it's just the willingness and the belief in oneself that maybe uh, in the way that you think it's gonna happen, it's not gonna happen, but no matter what, you're not gonna get up, give up on you. And I think, and I, what I wanna talk about right now, David, is, is that that dichotomy of like, a business not working versus you giving up because I feel like we conflate the two sometimes like, yes, is it possible to have a business that's just not viable? Yeah, totally. And, and should you change, maybe start another business or do something else? Absolutely. But what people end up doing, I find is they quit. And I think there is a major difference between quitting and, and maybe surrendering to the situation. I don't know. What are your thoughts, David? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a fair point, you know, um, the things that there are a lot of businesses out there that start with a great product or a great idea and they fail. Um, you can't even count the number. Um, it's, it's massive. The, the number that fail. And I'll, and I'll share something with you that, you know, uh, I learned after I sold my first company. Um, I started that company with a buddy of mine and we put up our own capital and then at the appropriate time we ran out and raised investment capital uh, along the way uh, but it was private money we never got a vc involved and i learned something you know uh living in the silicon valley area i just happened to be dealing with a vc after uh, i sold that first company and i learned that only seven percent of the companies that VCs invest in actually have what they would term to be a, a very successful exit, seven. And I wanna put that in perspective for everybody for a moment. So just to speak to the volume, the numbers that quit, that, that leave the game, or that for some reason they're not able to get to their successful ending. So one of the VCs that I work with um, in one year, looks at approximately 1,100 to 1,200 deals a year. So imagine every month, 100 companies are throwing pitch decks across their uh, office, and they've got a team of people that vet these out, and they narrow it down, just like if you were getting resumes, you get 100 resumes, you narrow it down to the 20 you're going to call, and then the ones you're gonna, you call you narrow it down again to the five or 10, you're gonna interview in person, then you narrow it down to the final. They go through a similar process like that, everybody. So Raylan, out of 11 to 1200 deals they look at a year, they fund six, six. So six out of 1200, do that math. Out of the six they fund over a period of time, only 7% have a highly successful exit. That will give you some indication of, of the failure rate or the, or the termination rate, I should say. And when you look at why that happens, 
why they didn't get if they had a fantastic concept idea app product why is it that it didn't get there well interestingly oftentimes it has little or nothing to do with the product or service itself and frankly it has everything to do with the entrepreneur as a leader and as a business person and as a human as an individual so let's let's talk about the business side number one there's a great book for anybody who's an entrepreneur called the e-myth it was written by michael gerber decades ago there's a new updated version of it you should read it because it speaks to the fact that you know essentially not every person that invents something as a product or service should be a business person they don't necessarily have own those things and so lesson number one you learn is you're much more likely to be successful if you happen to have another one or two people around you that are bought into your idea so much they're willing to go at this as hard as you are and and this is why a steve jobs had had a, had a steve wozniak for example steve jobs on his own is no less brilliant than he was but he would have been an utter and complete failure steve wozniak on his own was one of the most brilliant engineers of his time of our time he would have been an absolute failure think about that everybody on his own so it's very rarefied error when you find somebody who can kind of run the path by themselves if you look at mark zuckerberg whether you like him or don't like him as an individual or company i'm not a huge fan but i admire what he did because it's very rarefied error to start something in the dorm room um, and then grow it to the point of nearly tro a trillion dollars or so and still be running that company. You know, the majority of people that start companies, at, if it keeps growing at some point, they get replaced out of their own company because they, the board doesn't feel like they have what it takes to rise up to that next level. So let's circle back to what you just said. Okay, you can have talent. You could have a great concept or idea, but at the end of the day, do you have those human factors of tenacity, resilience, relentless, persistent? I mean, do you have that, what it takes in order to stay in that game and to be able to drive through the hard times? It's safe to say, I think at this point, Elon probably has, we'd probably all say, yeah, that, I think that guy has what it takes, you know, because he's done it not one time with PayPal, but he did it with SolarCity. He did it with SpaceX. He did it with Tesla. He's got Neuralink and he's not done yet. So this is a guy that lives in a 400 square foot home. There's no humans within 30 miles of him, 30 miles. He has to drive 30, 40 minutes to see a human being. And he's that all in at this point, having a quarter trillion dollars in the bank, all in on his project, his vision for living on Mars, that he's willing to live that way to prove that he can handle, listen to this, not that he can go to Mars. I don't think he has any doubt about that. He's proving to himself that he can handle living on Mars by himself in a tiny little home that could be constructed in a matter of minutes or an hour with very little energy. So you gotta ask yourself, do you have that? Of course you wanna have sales ability, negotiating ability, networking abilities. Those things are all important. Those are kind of those hard skills. But the soft skill, which is, sounds funny to say it in those words, uh, to have it characterized that way, but the soft skills of having that tenacity and that persistence and that relentless nature. Those are the things that are ultimately going to drive people. And I'll finish with this great interview decades ago. You could probably look it up. Barbara Walters interviewing Harrison Ford. And I remember she asked him a question. She said, you've got to tell me. She said, you are the lead actor and part of the two most successful movie franchises of all time. One was Star Wars, and the other one at the time was Indiana Jones. 
So how did you get those parts? How did you, of all people, get that? And do you know what he answered? Attrition. She said, I'm sorry, attrition? Yeah. He said, you know, like everybody else, I came to this town with a dream. Is basically what he said is, and I was, you know, a carpenter. Or I, we, you're, you, maybe you're a server in a restaurant. And he said, literally, Barbara, everybody I started with quit. It, that point they walked away and by the time this role came out for for uh, star wars he said i was i was the guy and so and through that i ended up getting the other part i mean obviously by being known with steven spielberg so it speaks to exactly what you just brought up and i think it's a very important point for all of us to keep in keep in our brains no matter what kind of business we have well, we also know that's incredibly true for just getting sales in general. One of the key metrics to being able to get sales in your business is trust. And how do you build trust? Part of that is consistency, right? It's like, you know, think about it, especially on the online plat like platform. Like majority of my clients are digital entrepreneurs. Well, all of them, to some capacity, are digital entrepreneurs. And a lot of what we, we talk about when you're first starting out is not about you know, get your first 10K right now. It, none of that. It's just, can you get to a point where you're consistently putting out, uh, putting out content, putting out, you know, your products, talking about what you do, consistently being there and consistently being there for the long run. And the reason why I always say that is because over time to that story, David, it's so, it's so poignant in that if you can be around long enough for the audience to trust and know, okay, that person's not going anywhere. I know that I could rely on this person. That it makes it way more easy uh, for them to invest in you, right? And, and you're going to inspire them to take action because of how long you've been around. It doesn't matter what you do. And I think this comes back to, you know, the resilience and talking about, and I know that there's a lot of people that are listening right now that maybe are just starting out or maybe are at that hard point. So I do want to get strategic here in a second. But what brings me to this question that I was thinking through the weekend, which was, are entrepreneurs made or born? And I've always been in the party of, no, they're, they're definitely made. Like you, anyone could be an entrepreneur. And then, you know, over the course of the weekend, you know, in, in evaluating the numbers, right? How many people have left and all these things, I started questioning, like, is it something that really you're born with? I started actually questioning myself. But after this discussion and talking about Elon and the bullying he had experienced, that's when I came back to entrepreneurs are made, but they're made with pressure they're made by you know the what they can make it through and which then brings me to the strategic part because again i know there's people here that are like everyone talks about resilience you know david and raylan what what does that even mean how can you even build it and so i'm curious for you david during those hard times and, and again you've been in the game uh uh, uh for a minute as a we long, say long and yeah. <laughs> and there's no way that in the time that you've been in business that you haven't gone through some hard stuff. There's just no way that's possible. So what did you do or maybe what didn't you do during those times that allowed you to stay the course? Because I know that one of the things I find fascinating about when we talk about some of these concepts is some of us do things um, naturally, right? We naturally, like for me, when I'm extremely stressed or when I feel like, man, like everything is kind of falling apart, I go back to basics. Like this is an old, like, I, I'm a former MMA fighter, so I'm a former wrestler. So when things get chaotic on the mat or when things got crazy in the cage, I went back to the basics, stay behind the jab, right? Like just let's go back to basics. And for me, that's read, write, lift. As long as there's no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what's going on in the business, as long as I'm reading every day, writing every day and lifting every day, I, I find a way out. And so I'm curious for you, what has been the thing for you that during, again, those hard times, allows you to stay the course and not and not quit on yourself? And that's a really good question. Um, and I've been through a lot of uh, hard times, a lot of hard times. You know, I remember when I first started out um, in business decades ago, um, I read something somewhere that never left my mind or my psyche and that is that the average entrepreneur fails three times before succeeding. And so I remember that, you know, as somebody who's hyper competitive, 
uh, and hates to lose. And I was just sharing with somebody, um, a client over the weekend, you know, that so many people uh, focus on winning and uh, hiring winners. You know, I want to surround myself with winners. Um, I don't buy into that philosophy. I understand where it comes from uh, to be around winners and what that means to certain people. But what I have found to be the truth is that you want to hang around people who hate to lose. Because people that hate to lose don't give up. People that hate to lose are self-actualizing. People that hate to lose will have a hard talk with themselves before you ever get around to having a hard talk with them. People that hate to lose are incredibly uh, resilient. And, you know, one of the things that I got from that little piece of information that I had shared with me, that the average fails, achieves three failures, achieves, achieves three failures, achieves, uh, not experiences, but achieves three failures. You got to keep in mind, everybody, that not only is failure a gateway to success, but failure is indeed something that you achieve. You know, we think that we achieve success and experience failure, and those that's not true. You achieve both and you experience both. When you achieve anything, you know, there's good in that. And through failure, you become stronger, you become more knowledgeable, you become more resilient, uh, you become more experienced. And so it's a, it's a really, really good, good thing to have there. So I, I figured when I heard that, I, can, I have three shots of achieving failure before success. And if I do it before then, if I somehow succeed before then, then that's great. But I learned to make failure, to look at failure differently. Um, and the great Zig Ziglar said something to me one time. He said, failure is an event, not a person. We also tend to uh, equate failure with us as human beings. If I failed, I must be a failure. Not true. Failure is simply an event um, that we achieve or experience. And it is strictly intended to be a, another uh, stepping stone to where you want to go. So I think that when I go through tough times, I've, and this is since I was a kid, I mean, I was born into, you know, failure if somebody wants to say that, right? Because I wasn't born into a successful family. I wasn't born into a successful parenting environment. I wasn't born into successful economics. I wasn't born into anything that somebody would want. But through that, I, I think I certainly got the gift of hard times. I got the gift of learning that the smallest kid in the class um, who wasn't the most athletically gifted, I, was, I worked as hard as anybody. I definitely hated to lose more than anybody, but I didn't have the physical height, weight, gifts to be able to do things to the level I wanted to. But, you know, what happened is I would just go hard and I would go hard. I'd go hard. I wouldn't quit. I wouldn't give up. And so when I had those tough times, there's a couple of things that, that I would do. First of all, if you're focused on the big, big, big goal, I want to achieve a million dollars in revenue. And then you don't get there then you're gonna focus on the fact that you came up short and that you failed. But if you focus on the journey, if you focus on the grind, if you focus on the things you're supposed to do, that you must do every single day, then it's, it's much more likely that you're going to achieve a level of success. One thing that Raylan mentioned is important. He mentioned trust. And one of the other things I shared with another client over the weekend, was everybody that is in love with remote working, I understand why. It's great not to be on the road, to be in traffic. It, goodness sakes, it's great to not spend a bunch of money on gas right now. But when I run into some people that say, oh yeah, I'm never going back to the office again, I, I responded to a couple of them. I said, hey, so 
that's great. I said, so you're basically comfortable with this being the top rung of your ladder of never going any higher than you are now. And they said, what? And I said, well, how do I possibly consider you for a promotion or a raise when I can't see you? I can't bear witness to your work ethic. I can't see how your leadership qualities, if you have them, because I don't see you interfacing or interacting with clients or other people that work for us. And when you're a digital entrepreneur, you got to keep that in mind. People can't see you. If I'm Julie, they could physically touch what I manufacture. They could see us in person and they could prove, get proof positive. We are indeed a real company. You have a couple challenges that you mentioned in there. One actually is the tenacity. How do you rise up and rise up and rise up? How do you deal with the negativity? How do you deal with the falling down? How do you deal with coming up short? How do you deal with the tough times? Well, you do those, I believe, through uh, working on yourself and building yourself up to be able to handle those blows, just like Raylan had to learn to handle blows in an MMM ring, MMA ring rather. And the second thing is when it comes to building your company up, you've got to put yourself in a position to where every day you lessen the likelihood of a tough time coming. You see, if you focus all your time on handling tough times, then all you're doing is focusing on how to survive in the middle of the ocean, how to survive in an earthquake, how to survive. You don't want survival, you want success. And to do that, it really, you have to couple two things. You have to couple learning the art of minimizing or eliminating the chances of tough times. And then you have to couple with that, your ability to be able to drive through them. Don't go around them, but drive through them. And the way that you do that ultimately is by uh, going back, as Raylan said, I like to go back to the basics. So for example, I was dealing with another company recently and they've been around, this company's been around for over a hundred years and they're not doing what they should be doing, what they'd like to be doing. But I love the leadership that took over this company five, six, seven years ago. And I think they're on a good track uh, because they're taking the time to understand what their strengths are and being able to move more towards their strengths. And two, like I told them, you know, you gotta look at your client list. Everybody out there, don't forget this, 15% on balance, 15 to 20% of your customers don't like you. They love you. They love you. They're advocates. They're not customers, they're clients. They're not just clients. They're champions of yours. They're advocates of yours. But rarely, rarely ever do I see an entrepreneur out there even take the time to find them and acknowledge them and much less to be able to understand that they should be reaching out to them and doing an even greater level of business with them. Because every one of those people doesn't just like you, they love you. So there's, as always, Raylan, there's a lot of lessons to be learned in entrepreneurship, tons and tons and tons, which is why I've been doing the coaching class for a year now. But I hope that helps people. Yeah, Dave, that's such a great point. I think one of the things that for those that are listening and wondering, OK, we're, we're talking a little bit about client retention, but also how do you you know, create raving fans? And I think one question that you can kind of ask yourself which brings us to this, what you just mentioned, David, was it's based off of the book. Uh, you guys write this down if you haven't picked it up yet. It's a book called Flip the Funnel, which I think highlights this concept. And so one of the first things, uh, I don't know if the book actually asks this question, but something that it helps me kind of figure out, okay, what can I do to, to better make raving fans uh, of the company is, all right, if all of my lead sources went dry today and the current clients, I can only make future revenue off my current clients, get referrals, do all these things, like keep the existing clients, et cetera. Like, what would I do differently? And so, you know, that brought me a few different things, right? So like for one, 
uh, in the coaching program, like one of the things that I do is if you make it towards there are certain goals you have to hit and it's not based on revenue, it's all based on action. And if you hit those goals, you get belt promotions. So like I give, I give out blue belts and purple belts and brown belts and black belts and those kind of things. But the other thing, you know, simple things you could do literally today and you can go through your client list and maybe this is your action item you can take with you today is go through all the people that have done business with you. I don't care how big or how small and write them a thank you note. It's literally the most simplest thing in the world. Like I, you pay postage, it takes you, you know, block out, depending on how many clients you want to do this for, block out an hour and literally just write them a handwritten thank you note with something that, you know, is meaningful. It can't be something copy and paste. Something as simple as that means the world. We just sent one out uh, to one of our clients in Australia and the, he is somebody that is super calm, cool, collected. He's almost like arguably cold at times when I talk to him, but he lit up when he found out that I sent him a handwritten thank you note. Like those things go a super long way. And now uh, we have about 12 minutes left. So I actually wanna open this up to see if there's anybody in the room that has questions. Uh, before I do really quick, uh, at the top, of the, the top of the page here, you can see that we have the digital entrepreneur toolbox up there. And so one of the things I did with my team, speaking of teams, is I realized when we first got started, a lot of us, especially the road to that first 5K, which digitally, if you're a digital entrepreneur, arguably it's harder than getting your first 10, honestly, and being in, having it be consistent. So we've kind of put together a bunch of different tools that we thought that if we had this at the start, our jobs would be a lot easier. So we have literally a copy and paste webinar template. So it's a PowerPoint. It has the structure of a really good PowerPoint based on this guy, Jason Fladlin, that sold I think in one session, he did like $60 million in a webinar. So it's that exact framework already done for you. We have, you know, engagement strategies for online. We have an offer builder in there, you know, a welcome sequence template, you name it. It's in their sales page. How do you actually do a sales page and landing page? All that is in there. So grab that if you need it. But I'm curious, unmute real quick. If you have a question for David, uh, David or I on anything from entrepreneurship to mindset, and let's see if we can help another person. We started this call off. This this room off this segment off with answering a question. I'd love it if we can actually finish with one too. So who here has a, a great question uh, that we can address? While we're waiting, I do want to say uh, I want to say hi to uh, first of all. I want to thank Julie for kicking this off, frankly, and putting us in this direction. Really, really great question and a question that uh, all entrepreneurs face at some point. I I also want to just say hey to uh, Regally Crowned out there because she happened to mention, you know, that her son is, is so different and she doesn't allow anybody to disrupt his flow. And I love that. Um, the things that seem different uh, are going to end up becoming uh, his greatness. I really believe that with my heart and soul. And I also want to say hey to Rebecca Hughes, who uh, who was nice enough to say hi um, in the in the chat in the room chat. So, and last but not least, to all of you out there that have taken the time to listen today, we really do genuinely appreciate, respect your time, and appreciate you giving us um, your time and taking the time to listen. So, does anybody have any comments, feedback, or questions out there that they would want us to address? And I also pinned my link tree up there. I've got links to my podcast. Um, I've had the good fortune, Raylan, of interviewing some just really extraordinary human beings that are living extraordinary lives that you've never heard of. <clears throat> and I like to demystify extraordinary, demystify success, demystify a lot of these things that sound so big and so... Um, uh, I don't know, difficult, challenging, nebulous, complicated, because they all are much easier than we expect, um, than we would think. And so uh, would love it if you take the time to listen on Spotify or Apple. You could also join my coaching class for free there um, and join a community of a few thousand really cool people. Um, and more than, and we address every other week, I address uh, something having to do with what will ultimately become uh, the makeup of you being able to have an extraordinary life. So anybody have any questions at all?
No questions, David. This is Ed. Um, Ed how uh, are really, you? I'm well, sir. I'm appreciating you guys this morning. I'm I'm loving your perspective on Elon and business and and life. And I never miss a podcast. I'm really enjoying it. Thanks for Thank being you, here. Ed. I really appreciate that very much. Yeah, I'm fascinated by Elon um, in every way possible. Obviously, I know his backstory very well, but I'm just fascinated by him because I'm convinced. I'm convinced um, of a number of things, and I'm convinced that children that grow up with severe hardship turn out to be much better prepared and equipped to handle entrepreneurship and and just at times the challenges of an adult life than a child that goes through no adversity whatsoever. That's uh, true. I'm Helicopter parents are not helpful. No, I agree with you. I'm I'm convinced that people that grow up with peculiarities grow up oftentimes to have those peculiarities reveal themselves as strengths. Um, and I'm convinced of the power of counterintuitive thinking. I'm convinced that if the life that we're living is not where we want it to be, then we should subscribe to the notion of counterintuitive thinking because perhaps all those things in our lives that caused us to fold our hands across and doubt, maybe those things, it turns out, hold the keys to us being able to achieve what we want to achieve. And also, consider the fact that many of the things that we've heard, we've listened to, and ultimately we sanctioned as people that so they became part of our belief system, turned out we shouldn't have believed them. Um, you know, it's, it's the truth. You know, I think that our, our parents told us things, I think, with best intentions. But it turns out that, to your point with helicopter parenting, that what is one of the chief things that most parents want to do? They want to protect. protect yes, they protect, want to raise protect. their kids. But, Ed, they spend so much time wanting to protect us. And it turns out that they unwittingly have protected millions of kids from becoming the adults they want to become. They've protected them from some of the greatest successes or experiences of their life. We still have as adults friends that try to protect us from getting hurt. But anybody protected from getting hurt is being protected from possibly the greatest experience in their life. So I think counterintuitive thinking is also something that's incredibly powerful uh, to explore. And the fourth thing is just the fact, the reality that, you know, people can tell you you're unique. You know, people can tell you you're one of one and it sounds like it's a very, you know, spiritual and kind of crystals and incense kind of thing to say. That's easy um, for you to say, David. Right? Yeah. You know, isn't that the truth, though, Ed, that is that, have any of you ever noticed how much of a genius you are about relationships when the situation has nothing to do with your relationship? Have you ever noticed that? When your friends growing up or as a young adult, middle-aged adult, when your friends were having relationship issues, they came to you and, man, did you have the answers? Yeah, you did. Isn't that amazing? But when it came to your own relationship, not so much. Did you have the right answers all the time? So somebody could walk up and say, you know, you're one of one. You're unique. You deserve better hard thing to hear and it's a hard thing to buy into when you look at life in whatever stages it's in and you say I just don't feel like that because if I don't feel like that I'm not likely to own that and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about fake it till you make it but I am talking about fake it till you become it I am talking about giving yourself credit who you are I am talking about taking the time to take inventory of what was it that you loved as a kid what was your passions what gave you unlimited energy what was your peculiarity what was your superpower at, at the time might have had somebody 
have disdain for it or not understand it, but it turns out it's the key for you. What are the things that do make you uncommon and make you different? Because the moment that you understand you are uncommon, you understand you really are one of one, you will never again, ever settle. You will never again settle for less than you should get paid. You should never, you will never again settle for less than the great relationships you deserve in all areas of your life. You will never again settle for just surviving and rather than succeeding in all areas of your life, you won't settle anymore. And so it is such an important aspect, I think, of our lives to be able to address and ultimately conquer because everybody does deserve better. You really do. But it turns out that we all are holding the key in our hand or possibly in our pocket to that locked door that we have to walk through. So the things that we talked about this morning, you think about an Elon Musk as a kid, as an adolescent, as a young adult, how many times do you think somebody told Elon something that the guy actually sanctioned and listened to and said, well, they're older than I am, or they're bigger, or they're stronger, or smarter, or they have a diploma on the wall. Well, I guess they're right. What am I doing? I shouldn't bother. And if that was the case, there would be no Tesla, no SpaceX, no boring company, no Neuralink, no uh, Solar City, no PayPal. I mean, think about that, guys. Thank God, thank God for our ability to have these breakthroughs or the very thing that we're holding in our hand right now. Think about this. I'll, I'll end on this. Go back to the year. Go look up today, Forbes, do this. go on Google, Forbes cover 7 Nokia. You'll see a picture of their CEO. Oh man, does he look happy. And he looks pretty proud and he should be. Why? Because they're referring to him as the cell phone king with over a billion users. Will anybody ever knock off the cell phone king well spoiler alert the short answer is yes and his name was jobs steve jobs and so thank god you know for the steve jobs of the world for for the uh amelia Earhart's of the world for the elon musk of the world who believed they could do it, the Oprah Winfrey's of the world, who believed they could do it when nobody else, they understood their peculiarities were power. They understood they were uncommon. They understood and bought in to the one of one concept and then went and did what Raylan said earlier. They attacked. attacked their business and they were able to achieve massive, massive success. So Raylan, been nice hanging out with you as always. Thank you. Appreciate David, the time. I have a question for you, David. I'm sorry. I didn't want you to burn off on this real quick. Um, Who's this? This is Marcus with the blue background, Marcus Bowers. So, um, hey, Marcus. You spoke about, uh, how are you doing this morning? You spoke about uh, Elon. And, you know, I've, I've been watching uh, the, just the different uh, team members in the PayPal mafia and how they blew up and how they uh, all jumped into all these, these these different digital platforms and how they're just leading everything that we're doing from LinkedIn to, to PayPal, uh, Yelp, uh, Instagram, everybody kind of stems from the PayPal mafia. And we all know Elon, but who else is a shining star that's not so loud in public that, uh, that we can look at, you know, from that group, from that bunch? And, you know, I'm asking because I uh, I, I like Elon. I like the way, you know, he's out in the front, the forefront. But uh, I know some of these other guys are just as great, but they're just quietly uh, doing what they're doing. So is there anybody else from that group uh, that, that you know a little bit about that you can speak on? Yeah, there is. And I'll turn it over to Judge, but I'll leave you with this. I'm going to leave you with uh, two names and, and a documentary that I want everybody to watch, If you're, especially if you're in business. Even if you're not in business, it's fascinating. It'll give you such great insight. 
The documentary is called General Magic, and it's about a team of people that had the bold and audacious idea to come up with a, to build a smartphone. And this was 10 years before the iPhone came out, 10 years. And yet the thing went nowhere. I want you to watch that. And then the people check out Mark Andreessen. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Mark after he sold Netscape when he was probably 21 or 22. When uh, I sold him his first uh, Mercedes Benz. Um, back when I was in uh, the D the Mercedes dealer in Silicon Valley. And then Peter Thiel is another one, T-H-I-E-L. These guys are both massive movers and shakers behind the scenes. You don't really ever hear much from them, but uh, they're the ones that are, uh, Andreessen Horowitz is the VC that Mark has. Um, but if you read up on the VCs on Sand Hill Road, S-A-N-D, second word hill, road in Menlo Park, you'll find out where the where really the power brokers, uh, who they are and, and how they've impacted your world. I'll leave it at that. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.